Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. So we come to the end of another week on Political Rewind, and boy, again, a a week of uh, head-shaking news at times um, that we've discussed throughout the week. But of course, next week is a very big week as well. On Monday, uh, the uh, uh, Senate hearings, the Judiciary Committee hearings for Amy Coney Barrett get underway, and uh, I want to immediately remind you, if you didn't hear the show, if you did hear the show yesterday, if you didn't, uh, that... uh, the hearings start at 9 a.m. GPB Radio is carrying NPR's coverage of the hearings. We are not stopping political rewind. We are moving forward doing the show. It's too important a time not to, uh, with only three weeks to go until the election. And so, starting on Monday for the four days, we believe, of the hearings, uh, we won't be on the radio, but you can continue, as many of you do, to listen to the show on the GPB news page of Facebook Live at our website, which you can get to at gpb.org slash PR. And of course, uh, we'll continue to post new shows on our podcast. So uh, please know that we will continue to bring you Political Rewind throughout next week. Also a big, big day on Monday because it's the start of early voting across the state. And um, I I, want to introduce now, it's a good time to bring in um, our, our panel today, because I want to talk a little about uh, absentee voting, which is already underway. So let's bring in Jim Galloway, who, of course, is with uh, me, my partner on every Friday show. He is the lead political writer, as you know, for the AJC, oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. And Jim, you just posted a, a, a column, your, which we know appears in the paper on Wednesdays and Sundays, that I hope we can talk about it, relates to the uh, Barrett hearings. But in the meantime, thank you for being with us today, Jim. No, it's, it's great. It's great. I mean, we, we are we are kind of at a nexus, aren't we? Uh, it, registration closed on Monday. Uh, last mo- Monday yep. passed, and, uh, and now voting starts on this Monday. Uh, and what's going to be interesting yeah. is we haven't done it yet. We have not. We need to. Do, we haven't gotten a good demographic look at what the current the 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 the, the 2020 voting pool now looks like. But I'm, I'm sure we've got an increase in minority uh, and, and and younger voters. Well, you know what? I do want to talk about that in a minute. Um, and as I do, let me introduce uh, Amy Steigerwald, Professor Amy Steigerwald, who, of course, you all know, is a familiar voice on Political Rewind, political science professor at uh, Georgia State University. And as I said, uh, Amy, a frequent, thank goodness, a frequent panelist on the show. And frankly, we're glad to have you here as we end our pledge drive at GPB News, because uh, it's voices like yours that keep uh, people listening, you and the many other really wonderful panelists we have. So thanks for joining us today, Amy. Well, thank you so much. I'm humbled and honored by that. Um, all right, let's get right to it. Um, Jim, you said you were interested in what we might be able to glean from early data. The Georgia Votes website has some interesting data on it already that relates to applica- first applications for absentee ballots. And let me throw out just a couple quick figures. So far, for the 2020 general election, 1.55 million people 
have applied to vote by mail. At this point in 2016, that number was 165,000, essentially. So obviously an enormous increase. But Jim and Amy, uh, let's talk about what we do know about the demographics of those uh, uh, requests. First, um, white applications are at about 53%. Uh, black applications at about 31%. As a starting point, Jim, uh, you might expect that since Democrats seem to, uh, we, we think Democrats are going to apply for absentee ballots in larger numbers than Republicans, that the number of African Americans should be getting, you'd want it to be a little higher if you're a Democrat and think they're your voters, yes? Well, it's yeah, yeah. It's I mean, the uh, Amy will correct me if I'm wrong, but and and, and again, we don't know the the final numbers. But I mean, in the past, uh, African American vote has been about thirty percent and climbing. And and mm-hmm. and just to get a little bit more ex, uh, explicit here, uh, if you look at not just absentee ballot applications, but if you go to Georgia votes and look at the accepted votes, the the votes that have been accepted and processed, uh, that's thirty four thirty four percent African American and fifty four percent white white voters. 82% of them are over 50. And and what's interesting mm-hmm. and and then if then if you look at the complete at the returned at the uh, again at, at the returned rate uh statewide uh, you you, uh, you 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 mentioned we've had 1.5 million ballot applications 375,000 of them have been returned already. So that's 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 24%. Mm-hmm. That's one in one in four. But what's interesting here is the rate is a return rate in 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 places like Fulton and Cobb right are right around 20% where you re, really where you see the huge 40% return rates. 40% of 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 those people have already voted are in are in Georgia's outlying counties like Elbert or or way way down in that little appendix uh, uh of 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 Georgia or or on the Alabama border. And what does that tell you, Jim? I mean, we're reading tea leaves here. Let's face it. But well, what, what does that well, suggest? what that tells you is number one is is these are older voters that are that are participating. Eighty two percent again are, are over the age of fifty. So that's that's something, and it, it, it what it tells us is that somebody out there is working the vote, the rural vote. Now, what we don't know is whether it's the it's 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 the Trump team, or the or the Stacey Abrams machine. But somebody is trying to make very sure that those ballots are returned uh, uh, without any delay, without any postal delay. Amy, the other fact, uh, a demographic here that I'd really love your thinking about is uh, gender. So far, of the returned ballots now, that's 300, almost 400,000, long way to go, three plus weeks until the election. So they're going to continue to pour in. But right now, 56% of the ballots returned and accepted are women. Only 44% are men. That's a big gender gap. And again, reading the tea leaves, what do you make of that, Amy? Um, I think it tells us a couple things. I mean, we've seen that the gender gap this year nationally and in Georgia. Can you all hear me? Yes, that, yep. yes, that the gender gap this year nationally and in Georgia is really growing. There is very much um, that women are voting more. So it really since about 1990, women have voted more than men. And that is true across actually all demographics, uh, all racial categories and ethnic categories. But we're starting to see it be not just sort of 
a marginal difference, but in fact, a really quite large difference. And I think that's one of the things we're really seeing here. Um, the other thing that I would note that I'm um, quite interested in, actually, um, because Georgia Votes does a really great job of breaking down sort of also who is who has returned their ballots. And one of the things that I'm noting is that almost 60 percent of the ballots that have already been submitted are people who voted early back in 2016. So what we're seeing are those who have a record of early voting are the ones who are really getting out there and returning these. And I think that's in part also why, as Jim noted, it is also disproportionately skewing older. And we're going into that. Um, the other number that I'm really interested in is the non-voters. So I think that we're also seeing that chick up, that the people who didn't vote in 2016, it may be that they simply didn't want to, and maybe they weren't eligible to. So that's that sort of important bracket of either people that have come of age or they have um, gained citizenship or moved here. Um, but I think that's what we're going to have to watch. What I'm going to want to see is how, what, how the numbers change, especially once early voting at the polls starts, because I think that's the other issue is that there was a big push for mail-in balloting. And then there were a lot of concerns about uh, whether or not your ballot would get there on time and confusion about that concern of whether or not uh, ballots will be accepted, especially if they're sent through the mail. And so I think one thing we're going to have to look is what are those numbers when early voting starts on Monday? You know, Jim, again, in reading tea leaves, typically when you see that older voters are returning their ballots at a higher percentage than uh, people in younger uh, age groups, uh, you think, oh, these must be Republican votes because uh, traditionally, certainly in the Trump election of 2016, they were. But we have seen a crack in the armor in terms of older voters now. And it's much harder to make the claim, Jim, that, oh, these are probably Trump voters because of their age. Right. No, no, no. Trump is Trump is bleeding, uh, the, the bleeding, bleeding women voters. And he's now he's bleeding elderly voters. Uh, and, and, and I count my over 65. I'm in that same group. And and. It is. It is a shift. This is a this is a significant polit- political shift. We don't know whether it's permanent, uh, but there are voters who are getting turned off by Donald Trump, and it's a lot of it. In poll, the, these national the national polls that we're seeing they're not Georgia specific, but the national polls we're seeing are, are showing us that that the debate that 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 the 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 single and what may be the only presidential debate uh, between uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden was a was a was a spark there. Uh, it started started something of an avalanche. Amy, older voters, and if Jim mentions women. I didn't ask you whether you think we should expect that the big gender gap uh, possibly suggests uh, that uh, uh, Biden has better prospects in the state or not. Potentially. I mean, we are certainly seeing if we sort of both in the state polling and the national polling is that not only are women skewing for Trump, um, but that is also explaining a lot of the or sorry, that women are more likely to support uh, uh, Vice President Biden and also that. The gender gap does help to explain some of the shifts that we've seen, particularly in voters over the age of 60, um, that all of a sudden, right, more national polling has Biden doing particularly well with that group, which is, you know, generally somewhat surprising. Usually it skews more conservative. Um, but a lot of it seems to be uh, driven almost exclusively by women who are over 60. And so that probably uh, is potentially playing in here. 
All right, let me do this. As as I've said for the two weeks of our pledge, our fall pledge drive, one of the only two times we come to you during the year, we have been allowed to uh, do our show almost unencumbered by by pledge um, interruptions because we know how important Political Rewind is to you with just a little time remaining before the election. This, though, is our final day of pledge, and we are continuing uh, to need the support of listeners uh, for this drive. And so today we are going to take a couple of pledge breaks. And and if you've already uh, donated, thank you so much for supporting the work we're doing at GPB Radio. And so many of you have sent these wonderful messages about how much Political Rewind means to you, which gratifies Sam and Jesse and Amelia and me enormously. Uh, but if you have not, now's the time to do it, and here's how you can. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Dr. Amy Steigerwald, political science professor at Georgia State University, a frequent panelist on our show, joins us today. And so, of course, does a lead political writer at the AJC, Jim Galloway. And Jim, I think I've got to say that we've now been on the air for seven years and about three months. You were on, I believe, the very first Political Rewind show seven plus years ago when we were a once a week show. And thank goodness you have been with us uh, ever since then. And we have to say, you do this, I think, partly out of a love of politics and the chance to talk a little more freely about the political world in Georgia. So I, we deserve to give you some, I mean, you deserve for us to give you some real praise for your consistent support of this show by being with us all the time. Oh, Shaw. I would, uh, but, uh, but, I, but, I, but I, but I, but I will say that 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 being on this show has has definitely improved my elocution. <laughs> well, <laughs> I am. We're I, I am, like, right, I, am I'm like, gonna... I am like Joe Biden. I am a closet stutterer. Jim, you're also one of the wisest people about Georgia politics I've ever known. All right. With that in mind, I want to move forward. I'm going to put the ball in your court as we go on. Jim, the Trump campaign is now running a spot. I read this in the Political Insider at AJC.com. They've put a spot up in outer metro markets. I think Savannah, Albany, Macon. Uh, and I think it's worth listening to the audio of this TV commercial. If you see the commercial, you will see shots of Joe Biden, Biden behind a microphone uh, looking down quite frequently. You'll hear his voice uh, appearing to be a little uh, untethered, as so to speak. It's heavily edited. But here's how the audio sounds. Wherever he is, it's uh, he's um, not all there. Joe Biden is too weak to stop China. Um, uh, with, uh, I don't know. Uh, too weak to stop Pelosi. And what uh, if there was an... an and too an weak to stop the radicals tearing down America. In, uh, um, uh, in with... Uh, the times are tough. Um, the man is weak. Uh, America First Action is responsible for the content of this advertising. Jim, that spot calls uh, Joe Biden mentally unfit. 
for being president. We've seen some dark uh, attack ads over the years. I, I have to say, I don't recall one that was quite that personal in its attack on a person's stability. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's significant that this is coming from a super PAC, not from the Trump campaign itself, so they can, they can, they yes. can disavow yes. it. They can disavow it. But here's, here's where I think the thinking behind that is. Okay, uh, that, that ad appeared when, uh, when, when uh, Trump was in, in, the, in, in the hospital or after, right after he was released. Uh, everybody was already kind of uh, uh, thinking that maybe we don't have this, uh, this October 15th debate next week. And one of the things, you know, in, in, look, in this last debate, in the first debate with, uh, between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, uh, Joe Biden immediately shot up. And one of the reasons was because Donald, the Donald Trump campaign had for months been kind of portraying Biden as, 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 as failing, as mentally, mentally failing and, uh, and ill-equipped. But what Biden did during that debate was he showed that he still has, his, you know, he, he still has his, all his faculties. And when when that debate, when this second debate was in, it kind of fell into into disarray here. He gave Trump the opportunity to go back to that, to go back to that message. And there is no, you know, without without uh, without a, a, another event, without a, another kind of impromptu Joe Biden performance. You know, I think they're trying to they're trying to resurrect that image. Amy, I'm not quite sure. I mean, it seems to me that if you're one of the rare undecided voters at this point, I'm not sure how that whether that ad appeals to you. You say, oh, maybe I should be concerned or whether it even it turns you off even more to the way that uh, the Trump campaign has been uh, uh, on the attack so uh, ferociously. What do you think? So somewhat ironically, the sort of view in campaign circles is that negative ads can be really useful. Um, The political science research, though, generally finds the opposite, that negative campaigns have a backlash effect on the candidate who's running them, that they are seen – they're particularly not useful, honestly, for incumbents. That is seen as sort of a signal of weakness and that they're losing. Um, It's also that people generally – don't respond well to the negative ads, and it doesn't necessarily increase their affinity for the candidate. And perhaps most striking, particularly for this race, um, there's at least one set of research that finds that the people sort of least tolerant of negative campaigning and sort of most likely to be upset by it are older voters and women which, again, are sort of two areas where Trump, I think, is having issues with. And so the possibility, especially if that's who he's trying to get to turn out, the one thing we do know that negative ads can be really effective at, depressing turnout even among your own supporters. Yeah, that's fascinating. And now, Amy, as long as the ball is in your court, I want to play you the opposite kind of ad. Uh, one of our our uh, real, really regular listeners pointed out the other day that we had not talked yet about the ads that Raphael Warnock is running, the Democrat, one of the Democrats in Senate race number two. He's got a lot of cash. He's been spending it heavily advertising across the state, and it has moved him up significantly in the polls. And let's listen to how he is uh, presenting himself and then talk about uh, why. As a pastor, part of my job is to be there for families through some of the toughest times in their lives. 
I've counseled people through devastating health crises as they've lost jobs and livelihoods, and in recent months, loved ones to violence and disease that could have and should have been prevented. All too often, these are people whom government has forgotten or for whom it was never there in the first place. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I'll always work for you. That's why I approve this message. Amy, to date, every spot that he has uh, run has been a spot that introduces him to people across the state who don't know who he is. He's known in Metro as the pastor at Ebenezer Baptist, and every single one has been a positive message. But he's in an enviable position, isn't he, right now, where he can, for the time being, afford to stay positive while Doug Collins and uh, Kelly Leffler rip each other to shreds, right? He is. He's in a good position on that. And on some level, they're really directing their ire at each other. Um, The other thing is, again, it sort of seems like his campaign has read a lot of the literature, which says, look, the the best thing that you can do if you want to use advertising is to run solely positive ads. If you can run solely positive ads and kind of blanket the airwaves with them, that actually is, in fact, a really good advertising strategy for your campaign that increases uh, voters' evaluations of your campaign. It also helps spur turnout of those that are inclined to like your campaign. So I think there's a lot of ways that, yes, he's definitely benefiting from the fact that Leffler and Collins don't really have time to worry about the Republican or the Democrat in the race. But also, um, I think it's a really good focus on being able to do that and set it up as a wildly different tone, while to some degree there's an inter-party food fight going on on the other side. The other advantage he has, Jim, I think, and you'll you'll tell me if you think this is correct or not, is that uh, neither of his main Democratic opponents, Matt Lieberman or Ed Tarver, have big campaign war chests. So he doesn't have to worry right now about the two of them in terms of an advertising battle at the very least. So he's really free to continue trying to define himself in a very positive way, yes? Uh, No, absolutely. Look, this is uh, Republicans are giving him an incredible gift because, I mean, it was back in the spring, back in the spring when kind of the the Democrats were just starting to, to get behind Warnock. The, the the rap on him was that he hadn't that that he he hadn't been out there enough that he that he that he wasn't campaigning in a way to to spread his name ID and so so these 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 last two months have just been absolutely crucial to him and I think it's 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 and 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 if you listen to him uh, his 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 speech is very measured I'm very interested in his use of the word the forgotten. Uh, the people who have been forgotten by government, because it's, it, that kind of that, that kind of treads on some 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 Trump ter- territory. That you're 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 getting you're you're trying to you're trying to get some of the people who have been uh, challenged by employment uh, uh, and and or and or losing their businesses. Um, the other thing about that particular spot, Amy, is it takes full advantage of his role as a church pastor. I mean, this is a guy who, over his career in the church, has dealt with the kind of people Jim is talking about, deals with your personal uh, problems, deals with the issues that a family uh, has. And it's a it's a very powerful sort of statement. I mean, there's going to be people who don't buy it, but but it does take advantage of what his role has been. It definitely does. And I think maybe a different way to put it is that, you know, for a candidate who is not particularly well known to people, you need the opportunity to introduce yourself. 
And he has been given sort of, as Jim said, this real gift of being able to define himself and introduce himself to voters without there really being anyone else kind of coming into the picture and offering an alternative view. And so, again, you know, I think he I actually, you know, the, the research suggests that he's right to focus on these kind of positive ads. And again, the fact that he's going for um, that kind of personal connection is a good one as well. Jim, let me give you the last word before a break. Yeah, yeah, very quickly. Uh, we, we know what's coming at at, at Warnock uh, because the, the the Senate Republicans in D.C. have tried to put some some video out there uh, in, 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 that, they, that characterizes him in the same way that they tried to characterize Jeremiah Wright during the Obama campaign. Uh, but right now, but they don't have the cash to press at home, and 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 they're spending that cash elsewhere to try to keep their majority. So again. Uh, the, the dynamics favor him. That's a great point. Should this come down to a runoff between one Republican and one Democrat, and if it's Raphael Warnock, he's got a history of sermons that Republicans will pull out that they'll try to use to paint him in very negative terms. All right, let's do this. We're going to get to one more pledge break uh, before we end our show later. We still have plenty of time to talk. But let me send it over to uh, the people who can help you know how you can support GPB Radio. We're back with Amy Steigerwald and Jim Galloway. Uh, Before we get back to our conversation, though, a couple of quick notes. Uh, Number one, I have been, as long as we've been talking about pledge drives and the fact that your dollars help support uh, the people and the work that we do here, um, I've been very fortunate to have a terrific team working with me, Sam Burmistaz, who celebrated a birthday, was it Tuesday, Sam? Uh, and is now just about one year uh, into being a producer uh, for us. Jesse Neiswanger, our engineer, who's also a composer, uh, and we've had a chance to listen to some of his great music, have been part of this team for a while. But about a month ago, you heard me introduce um, on the air our new senior producer, Emilia Brock, and I thought you needed a minute to get to know a little more about her. And so I've asked her to come on for just a moment before we get back to the politics. Am I right? About a month in now, Amelia? Yeah, closer to a month and a half, maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. And you're not ready to, like, run for the door at this point? Not yet, though. Not yet. <laughs> All right. Okay. In, in the quick couple of minutes, I want our listeners to know a little more about you. Tell us about... Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to college? Where have you been working? Um, well, I'm originally from a town called Redondo Beach in California, just outside of Los Angeles. I studied journalism and English and American literature at New York University. And then I moved to Atlanta just about six years ago, almost. You lived in the same neighborhood in New York that my, my 23-year-old daughter Emmett is. You were a Bushwick in Brooklyn uh, 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 resident, right? Yes. And I did love Bushwick actually is, it was a perfect, perfect neighborhood for me. And, and I found kind of a niche neighborhood in Atlanta, just like it. One of the things that you told me when I said, I would love to introduce you to our, uh, listeners is that when you were in college, when you were 18 years old, you had a weekly column in your local newspaper. What was that all about? Um, yeah, it was actually very exciting. I um, have an uncle who's a journalist, and he introduced me to an editor named Leo Smith at my local newspaper called The Daily Breeze. So I was actually writing stories for the local paper while I was in high school. 
And then they had a column that was by a college student about their freshman year away from home and at college. And they asked me to do that. So every week I wrote something new about living across the country and, and being at NYU. Um, okay. One last thing, your family, you are Finnish descent, I think on your mother's side, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I've been working on pronouncing your first name the way the Finns would do it, and I can't quite get it. Give it to us. Emilia. <laughs> That's Finnish, but I told Emilia. you it's Emilia. <laughs> right. Well, Emilia, we are really happy to have you with us uh, as our new senior producer. You've already been uh, tremendously valuable to our team here, and I, I did want our listeners to get to meet you, uh, and uh, they will, I think, uh, welcome you warmly into the Political Rewind family. Thank you, Emilia. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> right. Uh, Jim, you have a col- have you Has your column been posted uh, for, for the Sunday column yet, Jim? Right. Went up, it went up at 7.15 this morning. So we will put a link to it on uh, our website and whatever other social media platforms we can. But I think it's an important column to spend a couple minutes talking about because you make the point that in we, we know the, the Barrett hearings start on Monday. And you make an interesting point that we didn't talk about yesterday, really, in our discussion of the vice presidential debate. And that is that neither, neither candidate Neither Kamala Harris nor Mike Pence were particularly eager to talk about being pro-choice or uh, uh, pro-life, and you have an interesting take on why that might be. Tell, talk to us about that a bit. Right, right. And, and I think what, what this does is it, it, that the debate gave us a, a big clue as to how Democrats and Republicans are going to approach this hearing, uh, because when, 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 when Pence was asked uh, – uh, uh, what would what would happen in say his state of home state of Indiana if uh, if Roe v. Wade were overturned? Uh, he 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 went to the the U, U.S. assassination of that Iraq, uh, Iraqi Iranian general, uh, and that which which I thought was an interesting pivot. Uh, he eventually got uh, got to the topic and and accused Joe Biden and uh, and Kamala Harris of of supporting. Uh, 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 abortion up to the moment of birth, which is which is which is uh, absolutely false. Uh, and then when Harris was presented with the uh, with the same question, uh, she went into the the kind of into the unfairness of of, of the, the 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 speed of the of these hearings. Uh, she eventually made a a, a a pro-choice statement, but then she immediately went off into uh, into uh, 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 the implications of Barrett's nomination for the Affordable Care Act. There's a hearing on November 10th uh, before the U.S. Supreme Court to challenge its constitutionality. And 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 if you think about it, the, the problem if the problem Republicans have is that that this this nomination of 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 uh, Amy Coney Barrett is essential to 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 one portion of their base, and that's the, that's white evangelical Christians. Who have built a? I mean, who have who have been running an anti Roe v. Wade campaign for for decades? I mean, it was it was since it was since it was uh, it was uh, decided in in, in 1973. The problem is that the harder they push on that topic, the more female votes they lose, 
and 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 so you're not going to see them push very hard, I think, on Roe v. Wade. And Democrats, you know, Democrats have a little bit more freedom to talk about it, but but again, uh, the ACA is a far more uniting topic, and and it and it gets them more votes. And and why does this matter? It matters because uh, you have you have this whole section. It, it matters in Georgia because you have you have the suburbs of Atlanta where women have become this incredible power force in state politics. And, and uh, I, I, the example I cite is, is Senate District 56, where John Albers, he's been there for 10 years. He's a Republican. He is a no exceptions man. Uh, 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 he wants a ban on abortion with no exceptions for, for rape, incest, or life of the mother. And, and the, the Democrat, I'm um, blanking on her name, I think her last name, uh, Sarah Beeson, Beeson. I think uh, Sarah Beeson, Sarah Beeson, Beeson. Sarah Beeson. Uh, uh, she put out a note this week uh, where, where it was just an astounding note. In, 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 uh, she called she called Albers too radical for North Fulton, which is which was such an interesting <laughs> twist on on a phrase that Republicans often use on Democrats. Um. Yeah, Amy, one of the points that Jim makes, uh, and and this is a story right up your alley, um, is that um, what's happened here is that Republicans have perhaps gone too far in the way in which they've addressed abortion, citing, of course, Governor Kemp. Uh, He backed the the now law, which has been blocked by the courts, which would virtually outlaw abortion in Georgia. And it's one thing to put restrictions in place. It's another thing to virtually outlaw it, which is why the Albers example is so uh, meaningful, right? Yes. I mean, so the thing about polling is that on the one hand, there are the there's the party base, particularly on the Republican side, which is right, especially the evangelical voters. Right. Those that are, uh, you know, identify as sort of very conservative are much likely to much more likely to be sort of pro-life with the idea of um, perhaps even banning abortion altogether. The problem, though, is that if you look at the public sort of more broadly, that's actually not the view. Um, The majority says that abortion should be legal. Now, the numbers sort of differ depending on how you present like types of restrictions. But the broader point, though, is that very few people actually want to overturn Roe v. Wade. And when you start to get into discussions of what that means, um, what are the implications for women that have miscarriages even, or when uh, really large problems show up, that's when all of a sudden, even people, honestly, who might start off in a poll by saying, in general, I don't really support abortion, start to say, oh, but in those circumstances, yes, that does seem important. No, that's going a little too far. And so it makes us this real mindful to discuss and sort of bring it back to Amy Coney Barrett, one of the things that's come out actually since she was confirmed to the Seventh Circuit is that in 2006, she signed on to um, a an ad that was uh, advocating for a policy change to outlaw abortion completely and calling it barbaric. And one of the things is that she actually didn't disclose that uh, in the first round of hearings. Mm-hmm. And she didn't disclose um, there were a couple of other uh, similar things that she signed on to as well. So I'm going to be interested to see sort of how the, the members of the Judiciary Committee in particular address that because they really don't like it when nominees don't give them information. 
And, of course, one of the things that we're all going to be watching for very closely, aside from Barrett's record and how she addresses issues herself, is that Kamala Harris is on the Judiciary mm-hmm. Committee and is renowned for the way in which she has been able in the past to cross-examine Supreme Court nominees. So her comportment, how she cho- chooses to uh, present herself with Barrett will be important to the presidential race as well. All right. One last uh, thing, Jim, that I want to get on before the show ends today. You and I had the privilege on Monday of spending uh, uh, almost an hour with Bill Fagey, former director of CDC, a recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, who was the co-chair of the prestigious group of 18 people who uh, uh, came together to decide on how a vaccine for coronavirus will be distributed, who gets it first, second, third, and so forth, which now is a recommendation that goes on to to the administration, to HHS, to CDC. Um, And it was a remarkable conversation in which he told us how they made their decisions. But Jim, since then, he's done something really fascinating. He talked on our show about how politics, never has politics played a bigger role in terms of influencing CDC in a negative way than it is now. But Jim, uh, USA Today revealed a letter that he wrote to Robert Redfield, uh, his successor, a number of people down the line, in which he told Redfield that Redfield should stop uh, uh, doing what the president wants, be willing to, to be confrontational and get fired to make a point. Fascinating, Jim. Absolutely. And this this was this was two weeks before he wrote that note, two weeks before we talked to him. And it it, it, it came it, it only came out a couple of days later. And and basically what he was saying was that, uh, you know, this is uh, I'm, the, the, the line that jumped out at me was, you know, that this is a slaughter. It's not it's not just politics that uh, we've got. You know, at, at that point, I think we had we had passed the 200,000 mark. And his point was that he wanted, you know, and and, and he wanted a, an admission of of acquiescence uh, from from Bradfield. He wanted, you know, he said you can't resign without saying why you resigned. You have to put that out on the record, uh, and 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 maybe send a note out before that to every CDC uh, employee, all eighty five hundred in in the city of uh, in Metro Atlanta. So it was. Uh, we have not heard uh, Redfield's response on this, and I, I don't think we're going to. No, I don't either. I do think now you may have. I may have read that differently. I thought that he suggested that Redfield shouldn't resign; that he should allow himself to be fired. Oh, oh yeah, because yeah, that yeah, would yeah, be yeah, a news yeah, story right, right, for yeah. a lot longer and and right. more mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was really remarkable. Um, all right, we are. By the way, if you have not. If you didn't hear that show, you can go to gpb.org slash PR and hear our conversation with Dr. Fagey. Um, We're out of time today. Jim Galloway, thank you. Amy Steigerwald, what a pleasure to have you on the show with us today. Just a quick reminder before we leave you today that, again, next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, as far as we know right now, GPB Radio will carry the uh, confirmation hearings for Amy Coney Barrett. And it, they start at 9 a.m. We will still do uh, new political rewinds. You should look for them on the GPB Facebook page, as many of you already do, or at our website, gpb.org PR. Or, of course, we will have new shows all next week on the podcast Monday my conversation with uh, the great journalist Jonathan Alter about his new biography 
of Jimmy Carter. Again, Amy, Jim, thank you so much. I hope you two have a great weekend. To all of you out there, uh, remember, uh, please take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, and go get a flu shot. Bye-bye, everybody.